I want to take us to Genesis chapter 24 and read our scripture for this morning. It's found on page 17 in your pew Bible, so if you grab that and want to follow along, not only with the scripture reading, but in the message, I encourage you to do that. And um, as we often say, if you don't own a Bible, if you don't have a, a, a paper copy of the Bible, uh, please take that with us, or with you as a gift from us. This is Genesis chapter 24, verses 1 through 9. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife from my son Isaac. The servant said to him, Perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? And Abraham said to him, See to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, Take your offspring, I will give you to this land. And he said, His angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham his master and swore to him concerning this matter. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Again, good morning and welcome. Uh, thanks so much for, for being a part of this with us. Uh, as Bill said, my name is Nathan. I'm one of the senior pastors uh, here at, at Christ Community. Um, and we've had a lot going on here lately, right? There's been a lot of transition, a lot of moving, moving pieces. I'm still a little bit mad at Paul. Um, I'm guessing a handful of you are as well. I mean, not really. We're excited for him. Um, but it's, it's also given us an incredible opportunity, right? Uh, and so actually, Holly Justice, many of you know this, like she starts officially tomorrow on our pastoral staff. We're really, really excited about that. Make sure you get a chance to welcome her and just express your excitement for her. We've also recently, we've welcomed Kate, we've uh, welcomed Marisa to the team also. So a, lot of, a lot's happening, right? A lot of moving pieces. Um, and so one of the ways in the midst of all this transition that I can come alongside Bill, in particular, in fact, I had somebody as they walked in this morning say, how are we not going to kill Bill um, as our pastor here? And th with all this transition, so it's an easy way for me to come alongside to preach a couple of times uh, during uh, this fall. And so eager to do that. Thanks for letting me be a part of that. Um, and really, really excited for what God is going to do in the future uh, through this church here in this place. Uh, let me pray for us, and then we'll jump into God's word. Father, I'm so grateful for your church. I'm thankful that we gather together across our city even uniquely as Christ's community in five different places, that we get to care for one another, to, to do this incredible work together, to share this mission. Um, and we just pray that you would be honored in each of those places, um, that you would bring comfort and hope to those who need it, um, encouragement, conviction, um, and forgiveness. God, I pray that as we look at your word this morning, I, um, I recognize that many of us come desperate to hear from you, uh, desperate for a word of encouragement and hope. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would do that in each of our lives, mine included, um, in this space this morning. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. What do you do when you have no idea what you should do? 
Where do you, where do you go when you have no idea where you should go? Well, let me give a little background about me. So I uh, began actually attending Christ Community as a senior in high school uh, 22 years ago. Uh, joined the staff about 14 and a half years ago as one of our first pastoral residents of kind of this thing that we do of training at pastors. I was early on in that process. I've, I've spent the last decade then uh, as a campus pastor at our Olathe campus, or about a decade in the last two and a half years as, as one of our senior pastors. So I've been around Christ Community for, for quite a while. Uh, but one thing a lot of people maybe don't know about me, and I don't expect you actually to know know anything about me, I'll, I'll fill you in, um, is that the very first real job I applied for at Christ Community, I totally got rejected. I mean, absolutely, like, they, it was awful. It was, it was so bad. Um, and so I was a resident at the time. We were only one campus. This is when, you know, it was just Leewood. And uh, a position became available. And, you know, I was a, a resident. And so I knew, like, we do the residency to, to, to train up and send out leaders. Send out. I know that. I love I loved Christ's community. Like ever since I was in high school, I loved this place. I wanted so badly to have an opportunity here. And even so, in the midst of that time, as a resident, I was already sending my resume to all kinds of churches. You know, I filled out so many applications, and I received so many rejection letters. One after the other. I mean, every time I went to the mail, it was like... It was just terrible, okay? And so it was kind of, a, kind of a bit of a low point. We were starting to feel anxious. And so when this job at Christ's community became available, it was like, okay... I mean, this is God's provision. Like, we, we, you know, got excited. I quickly applied. I immediately bombed the interview. Seriously bombed it. And I still remember the phone call uh, I got. It was like, hey, uh, Nathan, we decided to go another way. But we're glad you're still a resident. Like, great. That's super helpful. I mean, we were devastated in that moment. Like, we didn't, we didn't know what to do, where to go. I mean, we'd, we'd done everything we could up to that point, and we just kept asking, okay, God, like, what? Well, we thought this was it. Where, where do you want us? Now, in hindsight, right, it worked out. God knew what he was doing. Hindsight. Don't you hate that word? I mean, hindsight's great, you know, after you're through whatever it is you're through, but, like, in the moment, and we felt lost. And so what do you do when you have no idea what you should do. If you have a Bible and you haven't already, go ahead and turn to Genesis 24. And as, as Bill said, some of you are like, okay, Genesis 24, we're way past that, right? Well, yeah, we are. We're, we're jumping back into the story. This is one that, that y'all missed. Um, and it's one of our favorite stories. And actually, I think it's one of Moses' favorite stories because he's, it's one of the longest single narratives in all of Genesis. 67 verses, all dedicated to Isaac finding a wife. Which seems so weird. Like, why is that even in there? It's like one of the longest stories. And so we didn't want us to, to miss it, so we're going we're gonna to back in. So let me kind of build the context again. If you've been with us in Genesis, let me remind you kind of where we're at now in this moment. And so this is, this is at the tail end of all the Abraham and Sarah stories. Okay, we'd walked alongside them for, you know, decades of their life, several weeks for us. And this is before we get to Jacob and Esau. Okay, this is, this is about Isaac and Rebecca. But why is this story here? Why does Moses care so much? Why does he spend so much time? Well, I don't think it's just a little rom-com thrown into the middle of Genesis to spice it up. I don't, I don't think it's uh, that Moses was a hopeless romantic and had a great story to tell, uh, nor do I think it's meant to be a how-to manual on how to find a wife, okay? Step one, grab another man's thigh. I don't think so. Um, 
In fact, let's have an exercise right here. Let's all, no, just kidding. Um, it's weird, right? Culturally, it's like, what just happened? Okay, we're not going to do that. And I don't think that's what it's, what it's for. It's here because, again, if you remember back to those stories, God had promised Abraham and Sarah a family, a big family, a nation-sized family. And up to this point in the story, all, all they have is one child of promise. His name is Isaac. That's it. And, and the only piece of promised land Abraham owns is the burial plot where he just put his wife. Sarah just died in the previous chapter. And so that means at this point in the story, God's promises are in the category of super lame, right? They're a colossal disappointment. And so as Moses is writing this story down, remember he's writing to the people of Israel as they leave Egypt and go into Canaan. They need to know, like, can we trust this God? And you and I, like, we need to know, like, will he lead us? Will he leave us hanging? Can we trust him? And so what is Abraham going to do? What's he going to do? So look at, look at verse, um, let me see here, I got lost here. So yeah, what's he going to do? So at the start of this chapter, it's, it's part of what Bill just read for us. Um, he's super old, right? Moses keeps reminding us how old Abraham is. He's really old at this point. Uh, and so he calls in his servant, and he gives the servant two instructions. And these instructions are important. First of all, he says, don't let my son marry a Canaanite. Don't let him do that. And let, let's be clear, this isn't some racist comment by a bigoted old man. It's that they worship other gods, and God's promise is about a family, right? And you can't raise the next generation of this, this family carrying on the promises of God if you're arguing about whether we should worship Baal or Yahweh. So, so Abraham says, don't let him do that. Don't let him marry Canaanite. Second, he says, don't let him go back. Don't let him go back to where we came from. Because remember, God had called Abraham and Sarah out. They were to go. And, and Abraham, he doesn't know what's ahead, but he knows they can't go back. And so he says, don't, don't let my son go back. Instead, go find him a wife among my extended family. Which again, I know that sounds a little weird to us, arranged marriages, marrying your you know, cousin or, or whatever. Like, but the culturally, like, all that makes a lot of sense for them. And, and keep in mind, he's not just looking for someone to have babies with, like to make this family big like God had promised. He's looking for someone with the faith of Sarah a new matriarch, someone who can continue these promises of God. And so what's the servant going to do? Well, he goes. He takes 10 camels with him. Sort of weird reading that, like Moses thinks that's some really important information for us. Actually, it is. It will come up later. Uh, But he he goes with 10 camels, and and he travels 530 miles to Nahor. It's basically like a three- to four-week journey in that culture. It's essentially if you were to take a camel from here to Denver— I don't know why you would, but, you know, if you were, it would, it would take about that long. And so, so that's, that's what he's, he's just done. And when they, when they arrive, like the servant, he cannot wait to get started. I mean, they're tired, they're thirsty, they've got to be filthy. And so they stop, even before they get to the city, they stop at a spring just outside the city. And it's like, well, no time like the present. Let's start looking, right? I mean, immediately he jumps in and he prays. Verse 12. He says, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, 
please let your, down your jar that I may drink. And who, asks, who, shall, who shall say, like in return, re- reply back, drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. Steadfast love. Do you see that twice there? He begins and ends his prayer with steadfast love. That's the, the Hebrew word hesed, which is a word for like God's covenantal love, his promising love. And so the servant is saying, you've made promises, God. Keep, keep your promises. Do what you said you would do for this family. Demonstrate your love. Now, this isn't just a, a test. I mean, it's sort of weird, right? It's like, okay, if, you know, she... If I say this and she says that, then, then we know, right? It's not, it's not just some like random test, like he should marry whichever girl sneezes twice, right? That's not what's going on here. Like this is, this is much more of a test of, of character because this is, this is who God has been. This is who Abraham is, has been. He's looking for someone with compassion, with hospitality, with a willingness to serve. That's who God is in this story. That's who Abraham has been. That's who fits in this family, and so again, he's like, all right, I'm going to, oh Lord, right? I'm going to ask her for a drink. And if she offers to water my 10 camels, let her be the one. Look at verse 15 then. Look what happens. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, hello, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. Before he'd even finished praying, and the author lets us in on a little secret, like the servant doesn't know yet, like her family history, right? But we do. Like, and so what he's trying to, to do is, is, like the audience should all be sort of on the edge of their seats. Okay, well, she fits everything. Is she going to water his camels, right? Aren't you dying to know? Is she going to water his camel, I mean, it feels ridiculous, doesn't it, that this is that big of a deal, but just a second, let me read how it unfolds, and then I'll, I'll try to poke at that a little bit. But verse 16, here's how the story continues. The young woman was very attractive in appearance. Like, okay, thanks Moses for letting us know, right? Um, skip down a little bit. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, please give me a little water to drink from your jar. She said, drink, my lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the the well to draw water, and she drew for all his camels. And I realize some of you are like, well, big deal. Like, Like, that's a test of character? Are you kidding me? She waters his camels. What can that possibly tell us about this woman? Well, would you do it? I mean, think about this. So 10 camels, until they finished drinking, did a little research, okay? According to National Geographic, a thirsty camel can drink 30 gallons of water in 13 minutes. Until they finish drinking, times 10, right? I'm not very good at math, but I think that's around 300 gallons, right, people? Okay, so think about that. Like the, the five-gallon like, paint bucket you struggle to, to lug around, like it's 60 trips with one of those. For a stranger, 
Like, who, who is this woman, right? I mean, that's, that's what we should be asking here. Like, who could she possibly be? And even, even the man, he's like stunned. He's like, are you kidding me? Like, already this is happening? Look at, look at verse 21. He's, he just sort of stands there watching as the man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. And so he asked her, who are you? And then he basically just says, I know we just met and all, but do you mind if I stay at your house later tonight with your family? And it's a hospitality culture, right? And she says, yeah, you can, you can stay with us. And she tells him who she is. And the servant knows. God, you have done this. You have done this. And in verse, verse 26, right, he can't even contain himself. He says, the man bowed his head and worshiped the Lord and said, blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master as for me, the Lord has led me. And so he goes to the family's house, tells them who he, who he is. And at this point, you kind of think, well, isn't the story over? Like, think about this. Like, what about Rebecca? She's, is she going to say yes? Like, we know all the pieces. We can see it coming together. But, I mean, would you have gone, right? She doesn't know this person. I mean, she's asked to move across the, the known world at that time. This is terrifying. Will she have the faith to go? Because this is a crisis of faith, just like it was with Abraham and Sarah. They had to leave. What is she going to do? And so the servant, like he knows this. He knows that, like, why would she say yes? And so he recounts the entire story, like almost word for word. That's why it's 67 verses. It tells the story twice, once when it happens and once when he tells them. Because he's trying to convince Rebecca. He's trying to convince the family. God is in this. You can trust him. And so he goes all the way back to the beginning, verse 39. He recounts his conversation with Abraham. He says, I said to my master, perhaps the woman will not follow me. But Abraham said to me, the Lord before whom I have walked will send his angel with you and prosper your way. And he did. Before I could even finish praying, Rebecca came out. She watered my camels. She's even related for crying out loud, right? And I couldn't contain myself. And so again, verse 48, he says, I bowed my head and worshiped the Lord and blessed the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has led me by the right way. And so what is she going to do? Is she going to trust Yahweh? Is she going to take this massive, terrifying leap? Verse 57, they said, let us ask her. And they called Rebecca and said to her, will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. And then some weeks later, right, after another long journey back home, Moses frames for us how it unfolds. Listen to this in verse 63. It says, Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening, and he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, there were camels coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? And the servant said, It is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself, and the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Isaac, God has done this. He's led us to this place. And then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. And Rebekah, full of faith, like Sarah, keeps the promises of God moving forward. 
well, good for them. I mean, how romantic, right? It's great, but what about us, right? Because it's one, it's one thing, I mean, I don't know if you feel this, I feel this, like I read stories like that, I'm like, man, it'd be great if things always worked out like that. It'd be great if it was always so clear. It'd be great if I always knew that God was ahead and I could, I could trust him easily. But what about me? Yeah, it's a beautiful story, but go back to the question I started with. What do you do when you don't know what to do? Because go back through this and put yourself in their, in their shoes. Abraham didn't know what to do. He, didn't, he couldn't see the future, right? The, the servant, he, he didn't know what was going to happen. Rebecca, she had no clue. And yet, I'm convinced Moses wrote this story down for the Israelites, the descendants of Rebecca, right, and for us to give us a picture of what it looks like to trust God in the ambiguity of life. A snapshot, here's what it looks like to be faithful to God even when you don't know what's next. And as I've, I've studied these, these verses, there are seven little words that I just have not been able to stop thinking about. Because I, I first started studying this text a couple months ago and it was in the, in the midst of a pretty big upheaval in my family's life of just trying to figure out who we are, what's next. I mean, it was just personal, nothing church-related, but like, it just, we felt lost, confused, we didn't know what to do, and I began studying this story, and those seven words were like a cool drink of water on a hot summer day, right? But I'm, I'm going to tell them to you in a second, but I just want to prepare you, like, they're going to be a disappointment to some of you, because there's no magic here. They're not going to answer all of your questions, right? They're not going to give you everything that you long for, I, I promise you that, and yet when I read this story, it's all I can hear, seven words, as you trust him, he will guide. I don't know what it is about those words, but like they keep rattling in my, in my brain. As you trust him, he will guide. If you don't know what to do next, if you feel completely out of your depth, welcome to the club and sip on these words. As you trust him, he will guide. In fact, it reminds me a lot of one of my favorite Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 3, I think, is a beautiful summary of this story. It might be familiar to some of you. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Yeah, okay. I should trust God more, right? But what does that even mean? Like, what does it look like for us, 21st century, what does it look like for God to guide us? And what does it look like for us to trust him? Well, I think those are the right questions for us, and that's where I want to spend the rest of our time together. First of all, what does it mean for him to guide? Like, what do we learn from this story about God's guidance? Well, a couple of things jump out at me. First of all, I think it, mean, it, I think it does not mean it's going to be easy. Because nothing, nothing about the story is easy. Like the journey of the servant, the willingness of Rebecca, like there is hardship and risk all over the story. This is far from easy. In fact, even like later on, like we find out like Rebecca, she can't even have kids, right, initially. And she's supposed to be, like God handpicked her to continue on this family and nothing about this is easy. It's often true, right? It's not easy. Second, or not second, sorry, just another observation here. Uh, it also does not mean that it's going to be obvious when you think about God's guidance. 
Like God's guidance is just going to sort of fall, fall in your lap. One of the things I love about this story is just how ordinary it is, right? Because in many ways, it's so different from the rest of the stories in Genesis. I mean, God is completely behind the scenes in this story. Think about the other ones in Genesis. Like God either like speaks directly to someone you know, he wrestles Jacob to the ground. There's a, a big ladder from heaven. There's miracles. Like, but that's not often my experience of God. And this, this story is just, it's just ordinary. Like my life, he doesn't do any of those things. And the reality is, even when God is leading, you're still going to feel out of your depth. You're still going to be a rookie at every new stage of life. You're still going to wonder which way you should go. But as you trust him, he will guide. Because God is not obvious in this story, and yet he's obviously everywhere, isn't he? I mean, his, his providence, his, his faithful love, you can't miss it, but he's not going to smack you upside the head with it. In fact, you may not even recognize it in the moment, right? It may only come with that word I hate, hindsight, right? But here's what I think God's guidance does mean. Not ease, not obvious, but I think it means he will go before you. And I don't even really know what that means necessarily, and yet it's so clear in this story, isn't it? Twice these words or some variation of them were spoken, right? He will send his angel before you. Again, I don't, I don't know what that means, not specifically, right? And yet I do know this, like if you're with him, he goes first. If you're, if you're with him, he, he goes first. And some of you are headed off to college, right? Or maybe you started at a new school this past week. Others of you, maybe it's a new job, new neighborhood, a new city, right? And we're rookies, aren't we? But God is already there. Do you believe that? And as you trust him, he will guide. That, that big life decision that's keeping you up at night, that, that new relationship, that struggle at work, that you just can't seem to shake. Or that visit to the doctor's office. God is already there. And as you trust him, he will guide. Okay. But what does it mean for me to trust him? Like, what does that look like? Because that's, that's really important as well, because the reality is, if you're not trusting him, you cannot count on his guidance. Because he, he won't just bless you in your plans for your life, right? He wants to guide you in his plans for your life. And so what, is it, what does it mean to trust? Well, I think there are three things from this story. What it looks like to trust. First, trusting God to guide you means obeying what you do know. Like you, just, I, you can't miss that in the story. It means obeying what you do know. You don't know what the next step is? Fine. Who does, Right? But are you obedient to God with what you do know? Because the reality is he's told us quite a bit, right? Even how Abraham demonstrates this in the story, right? I mean, this is a remarkable picture of Abraham because he's, he's so firm. Like, like don't, don't let Isaac go back. Don't let him marry a, a worshiper of these false gods. But think about this. Like, this is the same guy who 50 years earlier slept with his wife's servant because he wanted to force God's hand and giving him his promise, Right? Like, that Abraham wouldn't have cared. So what's the, what's the difference? Why does Abraham care now? Well, it's because he spent the last 50, 50 years walking 
in the presence of God. And he has realized that obedience to God isn't just right. It's better. It isn't isn't just a duty of ours, right, as his creatures. It is flourishing. It is life. The obedient path is the straight path. And I hate to say this, but I'm going to go there anyway. I mean, I hate to say it for me too, but some of us, I think some of us keep asking God for guidance, begging God for guidance. But you're not even obeying God with the stuff that you do know. I mean, think about that. Why would God give you more stuff to disobey, right? Like if your track record is, I'm just going to ignore what God says, why, like why would he tell you more? If you don't obey when it's obvious, why would you obey when it's not? And so, for example, I mean, for, for many of us, like if you're single, you might be saying, God, lead me, lead me to a spouse. Maybe that's a desire of yours. That's where you want to go. Lead. God, would you do? That's a good prayer. We should be praying that. But like, if you're willing to date people with a, a different worldview of yours, like different faith convictions, or you're willing to do things outside of marriage that you know you should not be doing, like, why would God guide you? You're not, you're not being obedient to him. Or maybe you're asking God, God, like, show me how to provide better for my family. That's a good prayer. We should be praying that, God, would you guide me in that? And yet you're willing to cut corners to do it? Or you're you're not living generously in the spaces in which you know you should be generous? Start with what you do know. Obedience isn't just right, it's good. It's best. And with each obedient step further, you will go forward, you will go further into his will. And as you trust him, he will guide. Second, second thing I I see from the story, trusting God to guide you means praying with expectation. This servant, like, that's him, isn't it? Praying with expectation. I I pray, right? That's a normal part of my life. If I'm honest, though, I don't know how often I pray with expectation. Actually, like, expecting God to do something. But it's so clear with the servant, like he's asking God, would you do something? And then he's, he's watching for it. He's, he's alert to it. And when he sees God show up, he cannot help but rejoice. Are you praying with expectation in the areas in which you long for guidance? I love, I love how James in the New Testament kind of sums this up. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, which I love that, like anybody, any, anybody here, right? Of course, like if anybody, if any of you lacks wisdom, Let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith. Pray with expectation. And then finally, finally, trusting God to guide you means holding on to a steadfast love. Hold that that word steadfast love is over and over again used in this story. And the reality is sometimes that's all you can do is hold on to God's love. Because I realize for some of you, like you're, you're in that spot right now where you, it's, it's just darkness. Like you don't even know what questions you should be asking of what's next. And you, you, maybe you feel it like crushing in on you and that's, that is a scary place to be. In those moments, all you can do is cling to his steadfast love. Knowing that God is for you, not against you. And I know that feels risky, right? This kind of trust. Because God's guidance does not mean everything's going to work out in your life the way you want it to, right? And yet we're in this family. Like if you're with Jesus, 
Rebecca is one of our ancestors. Like, this is our, our heritage. And the servant said, Blessed be the Lord who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness. And that is a phrase, people, you and I, because of Jesus, that we can say he has not and he will not forsake his love towards you. Even when you don't know which way to go. You can look to Jesus who made a way for us. Even when you can't see beyond that, his faithfulness, his life, death, and resurrection, we can cling to him holding on to the steadfast love of Christ. And as you trust him, he will guide. So, friend, take the next step. Oh, those are scary words, aren't they? And I don't even know what that means necessarily for, for, for you, for me. And yet, if you feel God prompting you in some direction, right, it may feel risky. Obviously, you want to do that with community. You want to do that with people speaking into your life. But what are you waiting for? What is Jesus asking of you right now? Take the next step in obedience. You can trust him. Because, church, I can, I can confess to you, I mean, you know, my faith so often feels weak. You know, my doubts are certainly there, um, my sins are many. My distractions are like, it's a long list. I mean, you, you, you know, right? But I started taking Jesus seriously 22 years ago as a senior in high school. Um, and no, no doubt, I've, I've led a, a fairly easy life. Many of you, I know it's probably been much harder, and you, you could preach a way better sermon on this than I could. I wish, I wish you could do that, actually. And yet I've had my share of failures, disappointments, regrets, unanswered questions. And yet... Even though in my life, I feel like there's very little I'm certain about. I don't know if that's personality. I don't know if that's just the junk I deal with or what. But I, there's very little I feel certain about. But I am certain of this. In those 20 years since I started taking him seriously, as I've trusted, he has guided. And yeah, maybe it's hindsight, right? And yet he has been faithful to me. And I know for many of you, you could say that even stronger given your experiences. And for, for others of you, maybe you're on the fence. You're not sure what to do with Jesus, how serious to take him. Let me just encourage you, take that next step. Yes, it feels risky, but what are you waiting for? As you trust him, he will guide. Let me pray. Father, we need your help. Not one of us can do this alone. We need your spirit at work within us showing us, guiding us. We need your community of people around us to, to give us safety, to give us encouragement, to give us joy. And I pray that you would give us the wisdom that we need, the guidance that we long for, hope always in you, Jesus, and forgiveness when we fail. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.